Episode 81 of No Guitar Is Safe, in which we plug in and play guitar with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and KISS founding member Ace Fraley. It's brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. No Guitar Is Safe. Hey everybody, welcome to No Guitar Is Safe. My name is Jude Gold. Thanks for listening. Today we're plugging in with Ace Fraley. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. What an amazing cat and an amazing time I had playing with him at his hotel suite in Hollywood. He was in town to do promo. That's right, the Spaceman was here to do promo for his new record, which is called Spaceman. All kinds of stuff on there. There's even an appearance on a couple of songs from his famous bandmate, Gene Simmons. A lot of originals and cool tracks, lots of guitar, even a cover of an Eddie Money tune on there called Wanna Go Back. I caught up with Ace at this hotel on an afternoon after he had just rocked the Jimmy Kimmel show the night before, so we talked a little bit about that. You know, he was trading licks with Toshi Yanagi, sitting in with Cleto and the Cletones, the house band. then after we did our interview, he went over to Musicians Institute and Ace did a cool sit down in a packed room and so many people were there, not just from the school, but all kinds of um, visitors came to the school to watch Ace freely hold court. And he is really great in front of an audience, man. He is so comfortable and just kind of cantankerous and hilarious and, and all heart and definitely all rock and roll. Ace was so welcoming when I finally arrived upstairs there, too, at his hotel off the Sunset Boulevard. In tribute to him and the guitars that he loves, I brought a Les Paul, my Les Paul Black Beauty, really my only Les Paul. It's got the three pickups, you know, and all the binding and the big block inlays, and he loved it. And then he was very sweet. He offered to buy it from me, but then I told him, like, listen, you know, this thing's not even, like, 15 years old, and it had a neck break. You probably don't want it. And he was like, you know what? I don't want it, but I have a neck for you if you want it. I think that's what he was saying. He offered me one of his extra Gibson necks because Gibson takes care of him. If I want to remove mine and, and glue it in there, very sweet of him. I don't think I'll uh, track him down and take him up on that but what a cool cat huh and then we're rocking out through these little roland cube amps that i brought and you might notice this this is kind of subtle but he's the first person i've seen kind of get some cool like marshall style feedback for a couple of seconds leaning and like we're gonna open with a blues jam at some point and he kind of at the very end he gets a little bit of like that bridge humbucker feedback out of the little cube and it sounds pretty legit he actually turns that little thing into a little marshal, which is pretty impressive. Again, we're listening to tracks from his new album, Spaceman, which just came out earlier this week. Brand new. This part I got to tell you about is a little, a little embarrassing, but you know, every once in a while, as a journalist, you got to take your licks. As a guitar journalist, especially, no pun intended. No, licks, right? Whatever the joke. I'm trying to make a joke here, but it was just a little embarrassing for me because I was asking him about a famous Kiss song, one that he sang lead vocals on. And uh, I actually have performed this song before at a corporate event, but it's been a while. And then he wanted to jam it and play it. And you know what? Oh, man, all you guys in the KISS Army, I was just kind of blanking on the arrangement. And and he busted me, man, and I deserved it. Especially if you're a true KISS fan and you know every single KISS tune and how to rock it, well, you're going to be like, come on! You're jamming with Ace. Get through the tune. 
I think it's kind of funny. I hope you enjoy it. We do get into the story behind the tune, which is what I was really after. We get into that later in the show. Man, I should have had Lenny Widegren, who lives nearby. He knows every Kiss song. Or maybe Steve Matheson. Or even John Five. There are just so many people who know every Ace Frehley riff ever. Because he was so influential and it was such an honor to sit down with him and hear about his influences and get some crazy stories and, and hear about inspiration for his new tune, Bronx Boy. So anyway, we're going to go over there, take the copter across town to the Sunset Strip. I'll bring the Zoom recorder up there and capture this adventure for you. That's right, man. This is an adventure. Every one of these, you never know what's going to happen. And I keep it real for you. Even when I got to take my licks. Fingers on strings, man. Face to face, guitar to guitar. No Guitar is Safe podcast. Once again, my name is Jude Gold. Thanks for listening. Say hi on the Facebook page for No Guitar is Safe or say hi to me on Twitter, Jude underscore gold. Twitter's cool, y'all. It's kind of crazy, but I recommend it. Thank you all for listening. We're well past 1.5 million streams of this show. I really appreciate all of you, and I hope y'all keep it alive till you're 105. You know, who I was for Halloween when I was nine years old was Peter Chris, because his makeup was easier, but I always thought you had the coolest makeup. Coolest makeup, but the hardest one to put on. I know. I was like, my mom was like, nah, you're going to be the cat. Ah! But uh, I had the, uh, I got three albums, and my first album was, uh, in that pack was Dynasty. age version of my 59 man that guitar looks perfect i noticed the historic thing on the back so really artist proof number three wow it's my it, actually they gave me six and out of the six this is the best best sounding one <laughs>
Yeah. Why doesn't the volume work? That's it? That's full volume? You gotta be kidding me. I would think these would be twice as loud. Like that. I saw Led Zeppelin's first New York appearance. Oh yeah? They were opening up for Iron Butterfly. Now, you have a huge fan who also works at Guitar Player Magazine, Matt Blackett. He's interviewed you before and he but he, he I know, I've been interviewed by thousands of people. I know. Well he he absolutely gives me grief every time I wear a headstock tuner. Like that one, he says they look nerdy. They do. <laughs> I don't normally, I don't keep them on my guitar, live, yeah. my guitar player tunes my guitars. Yeah, but yeah. if I'm stuck, like last night I think I had it on for the whole show. Yeah. You know, it weren't really a lot of close-ups on the neck. And you know, yeah. last night my voice cracked a couple of times. You know, yeah. the L.A. Air, it's, yeah. it, it just fought, you know. But I, I realized that most of the songs I did well, for the audience, because they cut the commercial. Yeah, you're doing so the, the bumpers. cracking, I don't think, even was seen by the public. It was fun. Did you have a good in? Like, did you get to talk to Jimmy Kimmel a couple times before the show? No, nah, I didn't, because uh, I was... I turned up my guitar in my dressing room, and then, the, and then the Japanese guy grabbed me, and he says, let's go this way. And he took up a staircase... And then yeah. he, we walked out on stage. Toshi and but Jimmy Ivy, Kimmel came carpet. over at the end of the show, and we took a group photo, and uh, I signed a guitar for him I had picked up. Yeah, he's, he's really good, good. You know what I noticed about him during that show? That he's a really good listener. Kimmel, yeah, he's a good conversationalist. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he, obviously he's a good conversationalist, but he lets the fans yeah. talk. He doesn't interrupt them. Yeah, I mean, good. the guests talk. Right, right. Did you have... Did you have a fun time playing with Cleto and the Cletones? Or? Yeah, they invited They said, hey, come back anytime. We had a ball. <laughs> That's awesome. Good band. What were you plugging into? Marshall. Which one? Like an 800 or something? You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know about the new ones. All I want is a Marshall lamp with an overdrive. Yeah. They do awesome. it. Yeah, I hate I hate the ones with 20 knobs. I, I've, I've always liked simple shit. On my triple pickup Les Pauls, I don't even connect them. This and this. They're disconnected. I just I use a triple pickup just use all the, bridge, the yeah. time. Now I brought my triple pickup deluxe here or Black Beauty, as mm -hmm. I showed you in a Yeah, it's nice. It's yeah, you know, it's not the best guitar, but I brought it in your honor. Thank you, sir. And um What's your name again? My name's Jude. Okay, Jude. From yeah, I've been in, you know, working with Guitar Player magazine for eighteen years. Right. Out here? Yeah, everywhere. But yeah. Yeah, I've never seen you in New York, I don't think. Yeah, I'm out here, but uh Okay. But I'm from New York originally as a kid. Where? Uh well, Lower East Side and then Washington Square. Mhm. Mm yeah. Okay. So you you're a Manhattan kid. Yeah, but you're a Bronx kid, which is so much more impressive, man. You're What's that's the real deal from the Bronx. Bronx was a tough place. Now, you, I love your new single. Boy is kind of autobiographical. Honestly, 
the music was mo- pretty much written by my friend Ronnie Mancuso, who has a studio in Las Vegas, and we've been friends for years. Um, but he, I don't even want to tell you the name of the song he originally had. Yes, but I us. will. Yes, for you, you get an exclusive. That song was originally called Green Tea. As in, Can you picture Ace Frehley <laughs> having it, and, and and it kind of went something like. I got my green tea. Don't need no cocaine. I, I said, Ronnie. So you're I, telling I, me this is kind of like a nod to your clean living that you've been doing now. Yeah, but I, I you know, yeah. I got 12 years. It's it's boring, you know. Yeah. I don't drink anymore. You know, God bless me. You yeah. know, and, and if, if you're having problems, stop it. <laughs> but he, the song was good. The yeah. music was good. But the, the lyrics weren't my cup of tea. No <laughs> n- no pun, green tea. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the lyrics weren't my cup of tea. And then I just came up with the brilliant idea to write, write about the Bronx. And it came together yeah. in one afternoon and uh, did that's a cool great. solo. And uh, that's about it. That's a great tune. So much energy, great drum sound, great guitar sound. What were you plugging into for that? Oh, Marshall. But, uh, but believe it or not, Marshall going through an old Fender... Princeton with a Jensen speaker. You were using the Princeton as a cabinet? Yeah. Wow. So all, must- all the amps that I have, I have an extension cord with a t- TRS input. So yeah. if I just want to use the speaker with a different amp, so, you know, I had a Marshall amp in the studio and I had the cabinet in the uh, shower. That's great. We had the shower for soundproof. This is it in Vegas? No, in oh. my old studio in Rancho oh. Santa Fe. I just moved oh, yeah. to a, a 9,000 square foot house that has a, a studio twice the size of the one I was in. And I'm dying to wire it up and, and, make, and get it together. Wire. Well, all the equipment's in there. I just have to get my engineer to come and wire it up with me. And then we got to drill through the wall because the room next door to my control room is going to be the drum room. Now, tell me... As a kid, when you're in the Bronx, how deeply were you on the streets in terms of like, I mean, you sing about switchblades and stuff like that. And this is what happened. You know, I was a church-going kid. My mother and father took me to church every Sunday, went to Sunday school. And then, of course, when puberty hit, you know, everything went out the window. I started dating girls, drinking beer. But, you know, mm-hmm. I got tired of getting beat up because it was a tough neighborhood. You know, I'd walk a couple of blocks and, you know, next thing you know, somebody's starting a fight with you. So I decided to do the smart thing. (laughs) I don't know how smart it was, but I joined the gang, the Ducky Boys. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in a gang, you have protection. Because even if somebody doesn't like you and you're walking down the street, they go, don't fuck with him. He's a Ducky Boy. (laughs) Yeah. So so, that was kind of... The, the the decision I made, and then that was around 13. And then as I picked up the guitar at age 13 and, and learned how to play better and started putting bands together and performing, it took me away from the gangs because, you know, I get a phone call from one of the gang members going, hey, we're going to go rob a car tonight. We're going to break into a warehouse. We got to rumble in this other schoolyard, bring, a, bring chains, oh, bring man. a knife. I go, I'd love to go, guys, but I got a gig at, you know, uh, Catholic Church (laughs) five blocks away. (laughs) Oh, man. So music pretty much got me away from the bad guys who all ended up dead or in jail or on heroin. Yeah, you don't want to go down to the schoolyard. You might break a nail or something or hurt a finger. Yeah, I mean, I stopped playing basketball because one day somebody gave me a fast pass and it jammed my finger. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't play guitar for a week. I'm with you. I, I haven't played basketball for years because of that. Yeah. Same thing. So, you know, between the, between music, music saved my life no, and also made me a multimillionaire. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. And uh, here you are, as you mentioned, 12 years clean and sober. And how much of that is a role in how prolific you've been over the past 12 years? And also you and, like, Gene have been... Working together now and stuff. You have new songs and you. You know, with- sobriety has been a has been a adventure. You know, the first couple of years are the hardest, 
And then, you know, what, once the cravings go away, like, you know, if, I mean, if you decided to take a, drink a beer out of the fridge there, it wouldn't bother me in the least. You know, I just don't have the desire to do it anymore. You know, I look in the mirror and I look at pictures of me from the 80s when I was drunk and I look better today than I did, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And I'm 67. But not only that, that's just a small, the fact that I look better is a big plus, but my ability to focus and my creativity has gone through the roof. I've done four albums in what, five or six years? I know, it's crazy. Yeah, and prior to Anomaly, 20 years went by without me producing a record. You know, I was fucked up. And you were, and you had a great track record with your albums, like your first album in 78 did really well, went platinum, had a hit with New York Groove. Are you a Mets fan? Hmm? Are you a Mets fan? Mets? Yeah. I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> okay, that's a dumb question. Think about it. Okay, dumb question. But they do play your tune, don't they? Every yeah. time. Like whenever they win a game. To be honest with you, I am a Mets fan. I actually did a... No, I did a a thing at at Mets Stadium, an outdoor concert for uh, the hockey thing. I don't know if you saw that. The eagle flew across. It was like 10 degrees. I was wearing like rubber gloves with leather gloves over them, but I had the tips cut off. It was crazy. I wanted to ask you also, you recently played with Gene at the Hurricane Harvey Benefit and stuff. Was that, that was the first time in quite a while, right? The first time I played with Gene was at yeah. in the Midwest. We did a uh, benefit to oh, raise yeah. money for the uh, Florida flood victim, uh, uh, Texas flood victims. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. So that's, and then now your work, you have two songs that you wrote with him on the new record. Let's listen to a little piece of one right now. I love your solo on Your Wish Is My Command. Great solo on there. As soon as I write a song, I forget it. As soon as I do a solo, I forget it. In fact, like my engineer laughs because, you know, he'll ask me to do multiple takes, you know. You know in Pro Tools, you do multiple takes and then you piece a great solo together. He'll go, do the same solo you just did, but just do do it differently at the end. I go, I don't know what I did five minutes, two minutes ago. Because yeah. I just empty my head and go. I don't. There's I no memorization. People are always like that. They're like, yeah. Play what you just played a second ago. You're what? No. I wish I. Your wish is my command. There's. It's got a beautiful acapella intro too with the vocals. Your wish is my command. Your wish is my command. I write songs and I have to learn them like, you know, before I go out on the road because I I forgot what the hell I wrote. My favorite solo is is the one on the first song. And then I like the way I I copied the front (laughs) and put it in again at the end. It's a really cool solo, the way it's put together.
love about that one line. Broke some hearts, broke some balls. I was going to make a t-shirt out of that. It's <laughs> a good line, man. I was going to make a t-shirt. I broke some yeah. hearts and broke some balls. Not through the years, I've hit some walls. I broke some hearts and broke some balls. Again, that's got Gene Simmons on there. Yeah, he's playing bass on the yeah. first track. Are you guys all buddies now? I mean, not that you weren't. I don't know these things. I just know what people say in the media. We've, we've, we've always been buddies. You know, we're family. I mean, I lived with those guys on the road. I was more, I was with them more than I was with my wife, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you know think, the fact that I abuse drugs and alcohol so much pissed them off. Uh, and I can understand it now that I'm sober because I fired people in my band for using drugs and alcohol because I won't have it. So, but they couldn't fire me because I was an equal partner. Right. <laughs> so the, I'm sure their frustration was tremendous with me. There were times in the afternoon where I get drunk and they didn't think I'd be able to do the show. But of course I had some coke, <laughs> which woke me up. Yeah. And I did a great show. You know, I always did good. I, I always came through live. Yeah. You know, um, but after the show, for the show, yeah. But I, I respected my audience. I always wanted to put on a good show. And, and you know, 99% of the time, I, I did great shows. Take us back to what inspired Shock Me, the song, back then. <laughs> See, I know that solo by heart. <laughs> Satisfaction grows. You're not even prepared. Well, I mean, I, I don't know it inside out. I'm sorry. Are there any kiss songs you know? <laughs> 2,000 Man. I mean, I'm, you know. I know you, the... you can play 2,000 Man. Okay. Play that one? I love that one. All right, let's come in uh, after I do the whole intro when the band comes in. All right. Second verse. You know my wife still respects me Even though I really miss I am having an affair But that soul's really easy. I would be I would be honored too if you would show me the the chicken pick thing because I've tried to do that, man. (laughs) Like you. It's, it's all about muffling it's so, and how you hit yeah. the strings. It's actually an upstroke, like you're hitting a string. There's, there's a good one on Hooligan, too. 
Yeah, I mean, I use that yeah. from. I actually I used it. I actually used it in the Eddie Money song. I think I used a little yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah, it's that's, a nice effect. I didn't even know where I got it from. I mean, who song, uses yeah. that stuff? It's just. Maybe in the spirit of Fractured Mirror or something, Quantum Flux is your instrumental. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a weird tuning. I'm and, I, I think I tune. I think I raise yeah. the G string. Hold on. Oh man, I hope you don't. I pop think it. that's it. And the whole thing yeah. is the G string has raised the whole step. It's just a little confusing now because yeah. we're in a half a step. If, if, yeah. you, if you play an A440, yeah. you tune your G string to an A. It just came to me one day. I fuck around. I would say listen to the ending of it, too. You know, the... Uh, it like The ending, it just digitally slows down. Yeah, it sounds so... Like, at first, it seems like, oh, it's a gimmick. It's slowing down. But the more you listen to it, it becomes so hypnotic. It just keeps going slower. It's just a digital plug-in. Yeah, but it's... I know. <laughs> yeah. People are going to say it's brilliant. <laughs> I told I told Warren to slow it down digitally. <laughs> he hit a button, and the first time we listened yeah, yeah. to it, I said, that's it. It's amazing, though, because it takes quite a while, and you actually start to, you start to get hypnotized by it, you know, when you're it's listening to it. It's amazing how digitally... They've done that with uh, analog tape. It's not the same. Now tell me this, you guys had the most elaborate stage shows, you mm -hmm. know. First of all, how did the smoking guitar work? Originally I got the idea in Canada. I yeah. bought some fireworks and I said to myself, you know, cause I've, I've taken apart Les Paul's left and right. You know, this is where all the volume and tone controls are. Under the back so I plate. The, I took the back plate off and, and then there's a channel where the wires go. So uh -huh. I said to myself, if I put a smoke bomb in here, a little one, it's gonna seep out of the cracks. You know, the guitar I, I was using, I don't know, there was a little room. Yeah, yeah. Well, in between the cracks the, around the pickup. The pick and I said, smoke's gonna come out. So I started doing that on the tour, lighting the smoke bomb, the fuse with a lighter, and it was coming out of both pickups, you know, in the cracks. But it, you know, after three or four shows, it, it gummed up all my uh, volume and tone controls. They had to be replaced. Yeah. So I started scratching my head and I said, it's a brilliant idea. Let me get together with an engineer when we go on our next tour. And he came up with the idea of having a fake pickup and putting a big smoke bomb in and having it snap back. That's brilliant because you only... And yeah, we, it's like I never use... I only use the volume and tone. So we had these pickups controlling. One would... You turn it, would snap the pickup back. The other one would trigger the squib that lights... <laughs> The fucking smoke bomb. And it was brilliant. That is brilliant, man. Now, did you guys ever have any mishaps with all that stage? Yeah, I burnt my leg a couple of times. Sometimes sometimes the metal plate would heat up. You know, sometimes yeah. I'd forget. We had an asbestos uh, thing I used to tape over the metal plate because it would heat up, but sometimes yeah. it would fall off or whatever. You know, yeah. my, my costume melted onto my leg. Oh. But, you know. For rock and roll, you you know you go through what a lot. Look at you ever see Pete Townsend's hands after some shows? They're all bloody because yeah. he does that so fast. He's cutting his finger. Oh yeah, I've I've done some windmills before and ended up hurting myself. Yeah, <laughs> it's not you know. What about with all the like the tanks and the fog and the light? Ever 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 have any other total spinal tap moments on uh, that you, you remember? I was never involved in the show with the tank. That was after me. Okay, uh, the fire and the, and the explosions, yeah. You know, our show is pretty much choreographed. And yeah. you had to know where you were during what song because, you know, in God of Thunder, there's going to be flames happening. So, you know, you have yeah. to, I had to be cognizant of where the hell I was. And sometimes I was a little loaded and wasn't paying attention. 
and you know almost got burnt you know Gene's hair is caught on fire you know a couple right. of times from breathing fire um, I got electrocuted in Lakeland Florida because at the time we weren't using wireless transmitters it was before they were really invented yeah so I'm on the wire and the idiot uh, stagehand didn't ground the metal railing that I held on to when I was going down the staircase because we'd walk down the staircases we would fall Marshall stacks like in in on part of the stage yeah yeah so I touched I'm holding on to my guitar and I touched the thing and I got hit with two 220 volts luckily I flew back damn and was knocked out wow if I would have fell forward I would have probably broke my neck and been dead so I fell back the guys hadn't noticed it right away but my bodyguard ran up the stairs and dragged me down the back and I had burns all over my fingers I had no feeling, you know, it took me, you know, a good eight to 10 minutes to get revived. I was knocked out. And then like all of a sudden, you know, Paul Stanley made a, an announcement that I had had an accident and we're just, you know, he's being looked at by a doctor right now. And the fans all started chanting ace. So awesome. And, you know, I, after I woke back up and was kind of realized what had happened I had no feeling in my fingers but I could still play because I knew where they go <laughs> yeah yeah and I ended up doing the show without any feeling in my fingers you know with burns on them yeah but that's rock and roll you know the show must go on you got a good song out of it too shock me yeah, yeah. I wrote shock me about that and that was my first lead vocal at Madison Square Garden yeah I was always shy about singing now I doesn't even bother me anymore no. you know now speaking of that song shock me which you got inspired by of course that moment and of course your first lead vocal there's also a great guitar tone on the solo what do you remember about that session on shock me yeah one of my i think one of my most unique solos is the one in strange ways where i do that dinosaur bend she used to call them dinosaur bends <laughs> yes that's the perfect name. Once somebody comes up with a perfect name for something, yeah, it can never be renamed. We have uh, Eric singing. Uh, I nicknamed him Ernie because he called my my guitar playing like Ernie. Er <laughs> no, I don't know. Now tell me about your long friendship with Anton Fig. He's on a couple tracks, of course, and you're on one Anton of his albums. Anton played on all my solo albums, and yeah. this is the first album he's played on in a while because yeah. he's three thousand miles away and. It's He's been touring with some blues guy, you know, the David yeah. Letterman show ended. So it, it's hard to get him, you know, but I got Matt Starr and Scotty Coogan up here, which, you know. Yeah, I know Matt. Matt's yeah. a great drummer. He played on... Uh, Can I move the mic towards you a little bit? Just no, I'm sorry. That's I'm leaning okay. back. Yeah, he played... Matt Starr played yeah. on Quantum Flux, and he also yeah. played on uh, I Want to Go Back. Have you ever met any of your heroes that have just like, where you were just almost speechless, where you know you got to meet someone? I mean, you've been such a hero to so many people: Tom Morello, Dimebag, John Five. Yeah. What was that moment for you? Uh, well, just recently I met Townsend. Wow. One About of my a favorite. year ago or something, when they played the sports arena, I went there with a, a radio DJ, and and he brought me back. He knew Townsend. And he brought me backstage, and uh, for the first time I met Townsend, and I was like in awe. I didn't know what to say to him. Right. Yeah. I almost met Jimmy Page. I was at a club in Manhattan, and Jimmy Page was at the bar, and I was already famous. And uh, he was talking with some chick, and 
You know, I know how it feels to be at a bar with a chick. I don't want anybody coming up to me. <laughs> so I, I, I just Respect. didn't. I, I, I left. I gave him his privacy. You know, I, I've met Keith Richards, Jagger. I met Jeff Beck. Well, those are. I never yeah. met Eric Clapton. Right. Well, there's still. But plenty I can of tell time. you, when uh, I, I saw Clapton's first appearance with Cream in New York. It was opening up for Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. When I left the theater, I was walking down the back alley, and yeah. Clapton was walking with some really hot babe, and I just gave him the nod. That was it. God, it almost counts. Huh? Almost counts as meeting Clapton, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, he gave me a nod. You know, I look cool. I, I had long shaggy hair. Did you and Pete Townsend have any kind of discussion? No. It was, a, yeah. you know, I, I didn't want... Look, I I, yeah. I know what it's like to be backstage and have people come in and, and want to shake. I shook his hand and I said, "Hey, you've been a big influence on me, you know." And yeah, he's not a Kiss fan. He's been verbal about it, so I didn't, you know, I didn't want to like you know invade a lot of his privacy. I just said, "Hey," I said, "Let's." And I got a picture with him. That was really all I cared about. That's great. Yeah, I got pictures with me and Jeff back at the Iridium. You know, when Les, when he played there. Um, I mean, I played ping pong with Keith Richards. Oh, man. When they, the night they played Shea Stadium, yeah. my old manager, Chuck Racklin, brought me backstage, and he had worked with the Stones in the past. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm playing ping pong with Keith <laughs> Richards. My wife was completely in shock because she yeah. was such a Keith Richards fan. She didn't even know what to say. She froze. Yeah, but I didn't care. Jagger, I met at uh, well, I met I met Keith again, and I met Jagger at, at Studio Fifty Four. Me and Jagger were both so loaded one night. Our bodyguard said, "Hey, say hi to Ace," and like I went one way, and he went the other way to shake hands, and we both like fell. <laughs> and then I was hanging out with Keith, and uh, uh, he said, "We're going to an after hours club," and I said, "Because there was a couple of musicians, I forget who who else was there." And he said, you want to come? I said, sure, I'd love to. He goes, what are you drinking? I go, champagne. He goes, you got to drink Jack. Okay. I said, I don't drink Jack. <laughs> he goes, if you don't drink Jack, yeah. you're not coming. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I opted to take off with some hot blonde. <laughs> Good decision. Huh? Good decision. Yeah. Now, is there any one performance that changed your life? I know you've changed the lives of so many people that saw the, saw you in concert for their first concert. Was there any... An, one performance any, of who? Another good, band? Well, maybe another guitar player or another band, but specifically maybe a guitar player that was a religious experience for you? Or Well, Zeppelin was pretty a pretty religious experience. Right. And I saw Zeppelin's first New York appearance. I saw The Cream's first New York appearance. They were like I said, it was at a murder the case show. I was cutting school, and the Who, yeah. the Who were on the same. It was the Who and the Cream opening up for Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, and they were both sharing the same amps. There were holes in the amps from Townsend, <laughs> throwing his kicking them in and throwing his guitar into him. Yeah, I mean those three shows and and Hendrix seeing Hendrix. Where did you see Hendrix? Randall's Island. I rode for him. I snuck backstage. And I looked like a rock star at the time. My hair was dragged down to here. I had a, a black t-shirt on with a snakeskin star, lemon yellow hot pants, and I had Van checkered sneakers on. And I was looking at the rock stars coming out who wanted to see some of the other bands. So they were walking out to get in the front just to you know see what was happening. And I realized there was no laminates. And I was saying, and I was watching, they just kind of gave a nod when they wanted to go back in. I looked like a rock star. So I just like walked up to the bodyguard to get backstage and I gave him the nod. Hey, he figured man. I was in one of the bands. <laughs> so after about 10, 15 minutes, I'm talking to John Kay from Steppenwolf and a couple of other people. People going, who, who the fuck is this guy? Finally, I said, look, I'm nobody. I snuck in, I was honest. They said, well, can you do anything? I said, yeah. <laughs> I can set up drums, I can set up amps, I can tune guitars. They put me to work. I set up Mitch Mitchell's drums. No way. Yeah. I said, Mitch, and I didn't even know I was working with Mitch Mitchell. This is what happened. I'm with an English roadie, and um, we're setting up the kit. And then this guy walks over with a 
headband and long hair and a beard. And that's when Mitch Mitchell had just changed his image. Before that, he had the afro. Right. And was clean shaven. I didn't know that. So I'm sitting there helping the guys set up the drums. And then the English roadies says to Mitch Mitchell, who seemed disguised to me, hey, Mitch, which snare are you going to use tonight? <laughs> and then I just froze. It was like one of those moments like, this can't really be happening. I'm here setting up Mitchell's drums with Mitch Mitchell. Now take me to the rest of the show. What were, did you And stay? then I got up on the side of the stage, you know, and I was like right there. You know, and I got a chance to say hi to Jimmy. It was a... Uh, the whole thing seems so yeah. surreal to me. Did you take anything away though after watching Jimmy up take close? Take anything like, away? What was the, What did you get out of seeing Jimmy face to face or aside? You well, know, okay. when that first "Are You Experienced" album came out, I used to carry that around to high school every day. I played that record a thousand times. That, yeah. you know, Fresh Cream, you know, Led Zeppelin one. I mean. I used to yeah. slow down the records to figure out the right, guitar right. solos. But there was nothing of when you were sitting there hearing him pushing the air and the amps right next to you and watching him move. Did you? Uh, did it strike you in any way? I mean, well, you got to understand, I had been playing in bands since I was 13. So it wasn't that. It was, you know, when, when I was yeah. 16 years old and went to see The Cream and The Who, I was blown away. But in the back of my mind, I was saying, I can do that too. Yeah. You know, there wasn't anything they were doing that I couldn't do. I had memorized Tommy and The Who Live at Leeds and the first two records. So, I mean, I knew I knew all those. I, I, you know, I knew, I knew the whole first Led Zeppelin record. So, it wasn't like I, knew, I couldn't play it. I knew I had the image. Yeah. So, it wasn't like any, you know, moment, you know. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? When I was 16 years old, I pretty much knew that I was going to be a rock star. And I told everybody, all my friends are going, you're crazy, never happened, you're living in a dream world. But yeah. I've always had the power of foresight, and I've always had a keen sense of the future and people around me and what's expected of me and what I need and how, what I have to prepare for. You know, when I walked into the KISS audition, I had all my licks down, and they played deuce for me, and they said, it's in the key of A, when it comes time to the solo, I'll kill you. And I just played every cool lick I ever knew. And they yeah. go, that's it. <laughs> He's the that's guy. awesome, man. Well, I was going to say you aced that audition, but that's kind of an old joke, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, the ye yellow and the orange sneaker, that whole thing. You oh, know? yeah, yeah, you were the, yeah, you had two well, different sneakers. Well, it, it was by accident. I had a pair of <laughs> yellow cons and I had a pair of orange red cons. And I was rushing because, I, as usual, I'm always late. My mom drove me down with my 50-watt Marshall with eight tens, and uh, you know my, my room wasn't lit. I was, and I, I just grabbed uh, two of the sneakers, and it turned out that one was red and one was orange. The most amazing part of this story is your mom drove you to your audition with Kiss. Yeah, I love that. So do I. <laughs> one last question. I know you got to go to your next engagement. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Mini Kiss? Mini Kiss? I think they're right. They are right. I just played with them recently on the same bill, and I met those you guys. Did. Yeah, them. I mean, all the Kiss cover bands, you know. Uh, now, let me tell you about these mini Kiss. They played early in the day, like 1 o'clock. They were in that makeup all the way for like 14 hours. How, what was the longest you were in your makeup? I'm exaggerating. It was probably six hours. but I, I couldn't wait to get the makeup off. But what happened to me in Paris was uh, I did a show, and I got back to my room, and uh, I hadn't taken off the makeup yet. And I, they just like whisked us away. I got back to my hotel room and I passed out. I was exhausted. And I fell asleep with my makeup on. The next day I woke up and I had an allergic reaction to the silver. Because that's crushed yeah. up metal with glycerin and stuff. I couldn't see. Wow. My eyes had swollen shut. So I called up Bill O'Coin and I go, Bill, get up to my room immediately. So Bill Coyne came up and he, and he realized what had happened and he got a doctor to, to shoot me up with a prednisone or a steroid, yeah. which takes down inflammation. I could see yeah. it. <laughs> it was scary though, waking up and I thought I was blind. You're like, this is some hangover. Yeah, <laughs> it was a scary moment, but uh, 
I you not you know ninety eight percent of the time ninety nine percent of the time as soon as we got off stage, we got whisked back to the hotel, and took off the makeup, jumped in the shower, yeah. got dressed, and went to the chicken coop. Mm-hmm. You know what the chicken coop was? We used to have a hospitality suite in every hotel we stayed at in the seventies, and during the course of the show, each of us had bodyguards. They used to walk through the audience. And we'd be pointing at chicks that were cute. Mm-hmm. And we'd go, invite them back to the chicken coop, the hospitality suite. So by the time we got back to the mm-hmm. hotel, took off our makeup, and then got dressed up normal, fixed up our hair, we'd just walk down the chicken coop. There'd be 25 girls there. So I'd walk, I'd talk to a couple of them. The one that I thought was the cutest that I had a connection with, I'd grab and say, so come back to my room. Wild times. That happened every night. It was insane. It got to the point where I didn't want to have sex for a week. I was just like overloaded. You know, too much of a good thing. <laughs> that was it. You know, we were in our heyday. And I lived, uh, I lived the, the life of a rock star to the max. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, wild times. I really appreciate you just talking about everything and yeah. being open about everything. I mean, yeah. you know... I've been sober 12 years now, and you know, one of the sayings uh, is my sponsor says to me, You're only as sick as your secrets. Right. You know, I try, I'm not embarrassed about all the crazy things I've done because I'm sober now and I got my act together. So, you know, it's easy, it's much better to admit your faults and try to fix them. You know, don't try to circumvent your problems, walk through them, fix them. Hey, so many people ignore the problems. So many people look in the mirror and think they look one way, but they really look another way. So many people are 50 pounds overweight, and they and you know, they don't even see it. And then you get the crazy models who are anorexic and still think they're fat. You know, the mind is a crazy place. You know, inside your head. You know, what you see isn't always what you get. But uh, you know, if you're having problems with any type of substance abuse, get help. Please. Life is too short. Get some green tea as well. Well, green tea can help, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ace. It was my pleasure. And thanks for bringing that triple pickup last ball in my honor. That was really sweet. Yeah, man. The guitar is safe.